it ha it's so helpful. We don't have an IE, so <laughs> it it does a lot of work for us uh, in our big apartment, and it's just working. It's really nice. It's cleaning the house every day. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host Oscar Fuchs. So, if you're listening in real time, welcome back from the week off since the last episode with Laurie. And if you're a new listener, here's a quick recap on how each interview works. The first part of each recording is a straightforward two-way conversation, which starts with the guest introducing an object that, in some way, describes their life in China. In the second part, I ask every guest the same ten China-related questions, all on the theme of their personal experiences and opinions. And then in the third part, I ask the guest just one final question, which is simply: Out of everyone you know in China, whom should I interview for the next season of Mosaic of China? So at the end of every episode, you'll get a glimpse into what the lineup looks like for next year, and you can see how, tile by tile, these stories will connect up to form a Mosaic of China. So in today's episode, I talk with Sebastian Denes, who I first met through my friend Curtis Baker many months ago. Thank you, Curtis. When I first met Sebastian, the thought did go through my mind. You know, he is a nice guy, but what is it about him that made Curtis introduce him to me in the first place? And then, as we kept talking, it slowly became more and more clear. And because this made the impact of what he ended up saying so much stronger, I thought I would try to put you in that same situation today. So, without any further introduction, here is my conversation with Sebastian. So, thank you very much, Sebastian. Thank you, Oscar, for having me here. Well, I'm here with Sebastian. Sebastian is the VP of Digital Business Service and the head of the COE for Greater China at SAP. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> You've been in China now how long?、Uh, I've been in China for seven years, starting the eighth、uh, one now. Yeah, so feels so long, and on the other side, feel like yesterday. Right. And before I ask you any other question, tell me what is the object that you have brought today? So I brought you a picture frame、um, that was actually offered to me、uh, by my spouse, my wife, and、um, the picture that is inside、uh, is a picture of me finishing my first marathon. Uh, that was back、uh, last year in 2018, but it's not a picture that is important. It's what it says and who offered it to me, right?、Um, you become what you believe, and I think we're going to talk a lot about that、uh, during our talk today. This was in Shanghai, was it? This marathon?、Uh, no, it was in Singapore. Right, right, right. I can see it now. The Stand Chart Singapore Marathon. Yes. I've actually run that one, but I ran the half marathon. So you did you did better than me. It's hot, <laughs> and it starts at like like、uh, five in the morning, right? Yeah, four thirty. It's just like ah,、uh, I, I have mixed memories, and it it does represent a transformation of some kind, doesn't it? It does. I've、um, back in the beginning of two thousand eighteen.、Um, I've been overweight for a very long time, and you know you. Do not necessarily take the actions. You let it go, and it looks、uh, sometimes more difficult than it is, right? And in many occasions,、uh, it's just taking the first steps. So back in, I would say February, March, two thousand eighteen, I decided to take the first steps,、uh, which was going to see a nutritionist, get help,、um, start moving a little bit, and get healthier. Probably also get nicer, a better person. 
And so this story started a little bit earlier for you, didn't it? Talk us through about how this has been part of that transformation. Well, I would say back in 2016, we had to restructure uh, the company, uh, which was uh, for me the first time um, as a professional to be leading this restructuring and making decisions that were uh, going to impact people's lives, uh, that were also um, shaping the organization. And it was a little bit like the end of innocence, if you, if you, if you wish. Right. That was when you realized, okay, this is not a game anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, I knew it was not a game at the time, right? But um, I, I would say that's where it becomes really serious, that you understand that your actions have consequences. It has also uh, taught me to actually trust the people, bring a team around yourself. And that also entails having a diverse team, um, bringing different gender, different attitude, different culture uh, into the team so that you improve the overall business decisions and the outcome at the end of the day. And one of the initiatives that we, we started was globally, actually, uh, was Autism at Work. And Autism at Work is take high potentials uh, that are within the autism spectrum uh, that have extremely precious skills for us in terms of engineering skills and bring them to the workplace. Not only bring them to the workplace, but also adapt the workplace to them so that they can perform and so that they can give the best value to, to, to the company and make our software better at the end of the day, right? Um, but we brought Steve, so back in 2017, uh, end of 2017, he joined the company. So we adapted the selection process so that they can shine, right? And that you can detect the skills. Um, and then Steve had many opportunities to choose within the company and he chose us because we, we, we tried to make a place for him. Uh, we assigned to him a body that is still, uh, she's still with him. Uh, today working alongside with him. Uh, we've been also working a lot on adjusting the work-life balance because this is also very important for the individuals in the spectrum to adapt their lives and also include the parents uh, within, within the conversation without having them driving the conversation. Uh, so it's, a, it's a, sometimes a, a challenging equilibrium uh, to manage. But since then, I think we started some some kind of a movement because we we hired an other colleague uh, within the spectrum, Tao. So Tao joined the company uh, in 2018, and we have also another another colleague called Bill uh, that has joined another department of the company. So that's what I'm actually especially uh, happy about is that we see other managers and other leaders stepping in and understanding that you can get a lot, lot, lot of value, not only um, from intrinsic skills uh, that those individuals are, are bringing, but also by, by providing a different uh, culture and ch changing the culture in the company, making people more empathetic, uh, making people you know, more conscious of the, 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 the differences uh, out there. And when you hired Steve, like how, how many other examples of hiring people on the autistic spectrum had there been in China beforehand? Uh, zero. Oh, really? <laughs> zero. So we were the first company to do that in China. Generally speaking, what we, what we have observed uh, for disabled people in China is that because of the tax relief, uh, employees are, and companies are actually hiring 
people in with disabilities but they are not using them they're not uh actually making them work and more than anything it was more reserved to uh, manual work uh, rather than intellectual work uh, because steve is an engineer so he works with customers uh, with other employees on solving uh, very complex problems that are actually um, impacting the business of our customers if they're not solved. So he's an integrant, very important part of our system here in China. And I guess without talking about Steve individually, but just in general, what are the advantages and what are the challenges? So um, the, the struggle is to, first of all, not forget that you, you're not doing a favor to no one uh, by employing employing um, Steve or Tao for, for that matters, and that they have expectations. So if you change the work, if the work that you give to them is not up to what they think is their level of skills, they're gonna tell you. And they have this high, this high capacity to process things. So what you may think is adapted for a I don't like normal, but more uh, standard employee, let's put it that way, is probably not. You have to give them more work because they can process more. On the other side, sometimes it is challenging to manage also the parents because they are very present and we're blessed that they are they're around us uh, to support us and help them and help us. But on the other side, sometimes you have to draw a line whether the company takes a decision that has to be that decision and the employee also have to live with this decision sometimes, right? Uh, I'm thinking about, for example, when a manager, manager change. When I have a, a mentee in the Czech Republic, his mentor, his manager uh, that actually hired him uh, changed and is now feeling a little bit unsettled uh, with the new managers uh, that hasn't chose him. So rebuilding this relation not based on a choice, but based on a matter-of-fact situation uh, that is coming to you, uh, it's sometimes difficult and unsettling. So you have to deal with this uh, and w with the individuals, but also with the managers. They have also to understand that certain situation has to be avoided and that if they pay sufficient attention and that they, if they invest sufficient amount of time, the value that they're gonna get back is immensely higher than the investment they, they, they're going to make. And when you talk about how you know these people do change uh, in terms of how you manage them and they change the environment that they come into, like how, how have you personally um, perceived that? Well, you, you for sure become way more empathetic. You base your decision on different criterias, right? Um, not only on the pure immediate outcome that you can get, but way more on the long-term uh, soft impact. Um, how do you measure the impact of a positive culture? Very difficult to measure. Nevertheless, I'm completely convinced that it's producing an incredible outcome. How do you measure happy people? Uh, how do you measure people uh, that are more capable of understanding um, someone else? And how does that impact our employees and their relation with our customers? So this is on one side, the, the, the very interesting part, and on the other side, the, the very difficult part. What about on a, on a personal level? So if, if we talk about um, you know, inclusion at SAP, what about you personally? Like how, how would you describe what your management style was before um, compared to where it is now? Well, I, I would say I, I, I'm more of a uh, 
alpha leader, right? I like things clear. I like things going forward. I tend sometimes to be impatient, result-driven, and, and so on. Um, and, and, and sometimes you just forget that, that there are different people in the room. There has been a turnaround point for me, uh, which was um, we brought Steve and, and, and Thomas, Thomas is from the, the Czech Republic, to a Autism at Work um, conference in Nanning in, in the south of China. And we had this crazy idea to do a panel discussion, right? So uh, in Chinese and in front of a fairly large audience for two young individuals within the spectrum, just to show that autism is a condition, it's not a fate. And during this discussion, that was obviously very interesting to see their point of views and, and their, their experiences. I, I stopped while I was on stage and, and saw Steve's mother looking at her son. And you, you know those um, eyes that you, you transmit pride and genuine love? So... That was for me, back in 2018, my bonus. That was my full year bonus because this was such an accomplishment to see a mother proud of her child, which probably she had a lot of challenges to brought up, uh, not support, not very much supported by the system, uh, a lot of questioning and to see him there succeed, uh, you could feel that that that's sentiment um, within uh, within her, and for me it was also the realization of what can be the impact of what we do, or what we don't. But if we do, we can have an impact that changes lives, that really have an impact that is long lasting, and that probably will help parents taking decision to bring their kids to university uh, because there is a hope, because there are companies out there that are willing to take that jump. And that's really rewarding uh, from, from, from a personal perspective. Yeah, it, it, it makes me think that um, there aren't that many people who you see on the street with disabilities um, here in Shanghai. I'm just trying to think if that's just me in terms of am I am I not um, looking in all the different areas or is that is that a thing like uh, okay so um, just bringing the numbers uh, we're talking 85 million people with disabilities in China 80% of them are unemployed and if they are employed they're sometimes not even in the in the factories in the companies because they're kept home and you don't see them because they're hidden that's my interpretation, right? Uh, we, we, we probably would need to, to cross-check it with, um, with specialists uh, of the country. I think there is a, a little bit of a shame uh, to block them out, uh, that the environment and the culture and the society is not so much inclusive uh, with them. So that can be seen on, on, on one side as a very big problem, and it is. But on the other side, it's a fantastic upside, because you have 85 million people that are overlooked, uh, that are not considered, and that for companies, it's an 85 million people pool of talents that we can look into. Yeah, it reminds me of my uh, my old life as a headhunter where we, we only had about 120 employees, but 10% of them were people with disabilities. And it was just like you said, we didn't hire them 
uh, as a charity. The, these are people who had the best skills, actually, for what we wanted them, which was doing a lot of the market research, doing a lot of the analytics with the data. Um, and it's something where, yeah, you you do realize, oh, wow, you know, these these are people who are being overlooked by other employees, but that's that's their problem. And, and actually, yeah. we're getting a big advantage out of it. Exactly. That's it. That's an edge, actually. Mm. And you mentioned metrics before. So how are you measuring the uh, the impact? And of course, there are tangible impacts and intangible ones. So I'm curious to know how, how you would you would uh, work on those. Well, f- first of all, uh, I like to talk about metrics, not about quota. We don't have quotas uh, for nothing at SAP. Uh, and I, I wouldn't like to work for quotas, um, but I like to measure. Uh, we want to have up to, um, I think, 1% uh, or two percent of our of our uh, employees uh, with disabilities uh, within the autism spectrum, but but we measure a lot employee satisfaction, how they consider the leadership, the culture of the company. Uh, we have a, a a yearly survey, and we're gonna move from a yearly survey to more continuous assessment of um, of those of those numbers. And I think for me, it's as I said, it's not about quota, but it's about telling yourself the truth. Right, and, and and sometimes uh, the narrative um, support the truth. Uh, sometimes it does not. Right, uh, if you look at the narrative right now, is uh, the workplace is way more inclusive, and you would tend to believe that uh, in China uh, the workplace is more inclusive for women. Uh, the reality is, in the last five years, uh, China has lost has lost forty place, uh, forty places in the global ranking for women in the workplace, moving from the 60th uh, place to the 100th place, right? So that's why metrics and, and measurement are interesting because it gives you valuable information. It's not all, as I said earlier, you, you have to measure culture and, 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 and positiveness and empathy, which are more difficult to measure. Uh, but it, I think if you, if you go through a, a combination of both, uh, hard measure and, and soft measurement, uh, you get a pretty decent picture of where you are right now. And what about other managers in your situation? Because what what strikes me as your story uh, from your story is that you are, you know, you're someone who outwardly I would say, okay, you've described yourself as an alpha. You are privileged, you know, white European guy in China, and yet you've come to this conclusion about um, inclusivity where you know normally the people who talk about inclusivity are women are people who are lgbt or people who have a vested interest so that's why i'm impressed with uh, with your story having come from your background well um i i like to think of privilege coming with uh, with also duties and and for me it's important to and and we try to to teach this to 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 our kids as well is to realize that out of the um, 6 billion people in this world we are very fortunate. We have a, a, a key to almost every country in the world. With my passport, I can enter 160 countries, no question asked. Is this the case for 90% of the population of the world? Not. And it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't make whatever it takes to, to make it happen on your side. But it would be a little bit foolish to consider this as a a fair game, right? Uh, life is not a fair game. Uh, and you can take those privilege and close your eyes and go forward. Or you can say, well, I'm going to open doors. 
I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make an impact. And sometimes it's just opening the door so that someone can just enter the room and shine. And for me, it's not about bringing people that don't belong, right? It's exactly the contrary. It's bringing people that belong, but for whom the door is closed. And also, it's good for business. It provides an incredible additional outcome. So if you combine this privilege plus this duty uh, towards P&L, towards success with the company, bringing us back to 2016 when it was hard, then you do whatever it takes to make it happen. And diversity and inclusion is part of the equation. More diverse company um, are more successful than less diverse company just because you are, if, if, if you don't include different opinions in, in your decision process that are coming from different backgrounds, different ages, different uh, sex, uh, different sexual orientation, religion, you name it, you're going to miss part of the story. And, and, and you are not serving only one kind of people. You're serving a very diverse world, right? For 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 me right now, um, I, I came to realize that we are actually at the crossroad and that y- 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 you have to choose your path, right? And if if you choose the path of diversity and inclusion, you can change people's life. N- not for today, but for um, the generations to come. Think about people that have um, a, a child that is w- within the autism spectrum. They ask themselves, should I educate him? Why should I m- make him go through all the challenges, all the difficulties, if there is no prize at the end of the day, right? at the end of the road, if there is no employment, if there is no place for them? And I'm not, not talking about only autism. You, you can think about blind people, about other type of disabilities. If you adapt companies to them, you're bringing a whole set of opportunity to this community of people, right? And, and that's what I'm, I'm thinking about when, when I talk about long-lasting impact. It's not only for Steve, for Tao. Their fate is almost fixed today, and unfortunately, right? It's for the generation to come. Very good. Well, thank you very much for that, Sebastian. I look forward to hearing what happens in the future with your project. Uh, Well, I should say many projects. Um, But in the meantime, let's move on to part two. And question one. What is your favorite China-related fact? Um, It's a very simple one. It's 1.4 billion people. I love these numbers because it's a. Um, uh, it gives you first of all a very, very accurate sizing of the country. It's also for companies, I believe, especially Western companies, some kind of mirage, the illusion of capturing this 1.4 billion people market. Right, having spent seven years here in China, I've seen so many companies with that in mind coming to think you're gonna conquer this market. Uh, I think in China, you have to uh, make a lot of adaptations uh, to make a difference here in China. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Oh, uh, Tinbudong. 
um, <laughs> I, I, I love this one because I, I always tend to think that if you say, I don't understand, for example, in France, uh, my home country, or I don't know, maybe in England, people look at you and say, ah, oh, another one that comes and he doesn't understand the language. And here it's a completely different attitude. They laugh with you. And sometimes you keep on talking Chinese and you're just like, Timbudong again, right? Uh, or they, they, many times they make the effort to make themselves understand, right? So I, I like this contradiction of a, 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 a word that you speak in Chinese and saying, I don't get it. And the doors that this opens. Nice. What's your favorite destination within China? Um, my favorite destination would be Zhujiaigou. Uh, which is in Sichuan. It's a wonderful alpine-style valley with beautiful lakes, and, and it's very close to Tibet. I remember it when we visited five years ago because it was the unexpected. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? I will miss the most the people. Uh, the people I work with, uh, the team... The, because of, over those seven years, you have seen them grown, build their families, have children, struggle at work, grow as person, as professional. Um, and this is probably the part I, I would miss the most. Anything you wouldn't miss? Uh, the airlines. Oh, now why? Oh, they're always late. It's it's very stressful. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love the train. I, I think the train system in China is wonderful. But the, 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 the airlines and the fact that it's always delay and that you have to wait for hours is just like very stressful. That's someone who's done a lot of business travel. I, yes. can, I can see in your face. <laughs> is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? Every week, almost every day, there is something that you say, oh, I, I didn't think this would be possible, right? One of, one of, one of the, 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 the latest one was I, I was running around the city and, and in Pudong and, and I actually found a bike cemetery. Y you notice uh, th those um, sharing bikes? They go somewhere to die. And this place is like five football fields. It's the, the other side of the sharing economy is what do you do with this? It's also for me uh, pictures a lot of how innovation goes in China. Uh, which is let's do it, go forward, forward with it, then start to regulate and then eventually uh, fix the issues that are going uh, to happen. Uh, whereas in Europe or in Western countries, it's a little bit, oh, let's not do it because we have this and this and that and that reason, right? So it's more finding reason not to do it here in China. It's uh, more going forward. This is why I think the country goes also very fast in that, in that area. I've only seen pictures of those bike graveyards. I'm surprised that you actually were able to find one here in Shanghai. I can bring you there. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a date. We'll go there. What is your favorite place to go out to eat or drink or, or just hang out? All right. So it's going to sound odd. It's, in the, it's a restaurant in the Florentia village. So Florentia village is an outlet close to the airport so that's not so fancy nor nor glamour let's put it that way uh, but they have a very good restaurant a uh, very good Italian restaurant called Bella Vita uh, we know the chef Stefano personally and it's a little bit like every week every Sunday we go back to Italy 
nothing fancy, nothing fusion, just traditional Italian cuisine where you can find a little bit of home and, uh, you know, uh, spend good family time. And that's because your wife is Italian, right? Yeah. <laughs> if an Italian likes it, then it must be good. What is the best or worst purchase you've made in China? Uh, the best purchase is actually a Xiaomi vacuum robot. It ha it's so helpful. We don't have an IE, so <laughs> it, it does a lot of work for us uh, in our big apartment. And it's just working. It's really nice. It's cleaning the house every day. Amazing. Um, what's your favorite WeChat sticker? is a pretty stupid one it's just a an old lady that is just laughing at and <laughs> I, I i think sometimes we we are too serious and it's just about laughing excellent i'm going to use that one what is your go-to song to sing at ktv um oh that's a not a fancy one that's a john denver country roads take me home Oh, the classic. Yeah, classic one. Easy to, song, to sing, but also a lot of um, meaning in the first years in China was a, a, a song to, that were referring to home in France. And over the years, home is now, is here. Right. And finally, what other China-related sources of information do you use? Uh, funny enough, I, I, I read the China Daily. I like to 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 read those newspapers, uh, not so much for their impartial view, uh, but I'll, I like to read it to see a little bit the, the narrative, to grasp a glimpse of where the country is going, uh, what is the um, official thinking of it, and I do what not so many people do now, the, I cross-references it. Right, right. I agree with you, like nowadays, Unless you're reading five different sources, then actually you don't really know the full picture. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Sebastian. That was amazing. Thank you for having me, Oscar. It was a real pleasure to be here. Well, before we go, the last question I ask you is, out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview next? Um, I would like to recommend Marina. Uh, Marina is actually working uh, in the inclusion factory in Taizang. Uh, she's a social worker and social program manager. She's helping people with disabilities, uh, creating a friendly environment for them to include themselves into the society, make a difference, and also helping companies like SAP or like others to be more inclusive and create an adaptable and welcoming workplace. So she's the one. Amazing. I look forward to meeting, meeting with her. And thank you so much for your time. You know, it was a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Oscar. I made this point in the recording itself, but what impresses me about Sebastian the most is the way in which he puts himself out there as an ally for diversity and inclusion. Not just because of any self-interest, not because uh, he feels pressured, not because he feels guilt-tripped, but simply because it makes sense. So hats off again to Sebastian. I hope even the most hard-nosed leaders of the corporate world can agree on the business case for diversity and inclusion, even if for nothing else. Let me also make a quick extra point on the airlines in China that Sebastian mentioned. So domestic flights in particular can definitely be a nightmare when it comes to delays. Um, and these can be for the same old reasons as anywhere else, especially with bad weather or with you know the strain on air traffic control, things like that. 
But the part which makes it especially bad in China is that a very large percentage of airspace here is reserved for the military. Some estimates online put it at about 70%, some even higher, at closer to around 80%. And that leaves very limited airspace for commercial airlines. So the airspace can be arbitrarily closed, and it's truly no one at the airline's fault. I've posted a couple of images about this, um, including a funny photo that someone took at an airport in China. I won't spoil the punchline, but it's the kind of thing you would find funny to maybe look at it now, uh, but you wouldn't find it so funny if you were looking at it while delayed at the airport. Let me race through the rest. All of these photos can be found on social media. Just search for Mosaic of China on Instagram or Facebook, or connect with me on WeChat using my ID, Oscar10877, and I'll add you to the group there. You will see, so uh, Sebastian's object, uh, you'll see his favorite WeChat sticker, that's the laughing grandma. I'm pretty sure that's a Russian laughing grandma, but you be the judge. You will see a photo of Steve from the time he was on the panel discussion about autism at work. You'll see Sebastian's favorite phrase in Chinese, that's Tingbudong, which is I don't understand. Actually, interestingly, that is only used if you don't understand what you're hearing. That's what the Ting part means. If you can't understand something which you're seeing or reading, the phrase is Kanbudong. There is the bike cemetery, there is the Bella Vita restaurant, there is the vacuum robot, which incidentally is the same answer that Eric from episode 3 gave to the question about purchases in China, except for Eric it was his worst purchase. And then there are photos of Jiu Jaigou, the place in Sichuan, which um, Sebastian says is his favourite place to visit in China. He went there a few years ago, and there has been a big earthquake um, in Sichuan since then, and I'm not sure exactly how things look there now, or even if it's totally opened up to tourists at all. So if you're listening and you know, then please get in touch. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, editing by Milo Di Prieto, artwork by Denny Newell, and China technical support from Alston Gong. Let me just say um, a quick thank you to Milo, who has helped to create the sound of this podcast. He has also been teaching me how to use the editing software myself. And I had a mini crash course from Sarah Borbor of the Unravel podcast too. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm very proud to say that at the end of all that, the majority of today's episode was hand-edited by me. Milo will continue to be offering editing support. I'm still a long way off from being able to do one of these all on my own. Uh, but look, I hope you didn't notice too many mistakes this week, and I will see you again next time. <laughs>